0: find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to u com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. So
1: just I was creating these expectations of other people to be a certain way, that- you know, often they couldn't be any other way, otherwise they would, based on all of the experiences that they've had in their lives and the trauma they've experienced and their conditioning and programming and upbringing, they couldn't actually be any other way. But my wanting that to change and be different was what was creating suffering in my life.
0: Hello, U-Turn friends. Um, it is another week on the mindset category of the podcast, and I'm really excited to be bringing one of my dear friends, and I'm just realizing right now that uh, she might be one of the last friends I have on here because I'm literally running out of friends to have as guests. <laughs> Jackie Connectal. Talk
1: to make some new friends.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Jackie Connectal, she is the Ornectal, um, co-founder of Flow Consciousness Institute, and she runs training programs online and in person around the world. She's a speaker, she's a coach, and she helps people with performance, flow, focus, and all of the things that we all really want in our lives. And I thought it would be, she talks about a lot of incredible topics. And for this particular conversation, we thought we'd talk a little bit about how to relinquish control. Which is really funny because I was telling Jackie before we started recording that I've never done an interview without having talked to the guest about a few talking points that they might want me to bring up or whatever. And since she's the flow queen, we were like, let's just be in flow.
1: Jackie, yeah, thank you it's for coming. So interesting. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, having having talking points and constricting the possibilities of what could come up organically feels so strange to
0: me. I know it's it's interesting because I'm somewhere in between. I think some people are rigid with structure and control. And then, uh, I'm somebody that likes to have bullet points and then I kind of go and wing it, but I have some level of structure. And then there's somebody like you where it's pure flow. Like, how do you live like that, Jackie, in this state (laughs) of trust with the moment?
1: Wow. Um, I mean, for me, it was, it was a long process because I'm a recovered control freak. And if you knew me back in the day, I really Uh, I micromanaged every aspect of my life because I I needed to have control because I was in this illusion of needing security and safety and these ideas that I had, um, that if I wasn't controlling everything in my life, it would all fall apart. And I, I really had to learn how to relinquish control and to fully surrender to life so that now I operate, you know, uh, uncertainty is my comfort zone. So to have structure, it feels limiting in, in many ways. So uh, it, it was a long journey journey of doing a lot of deep inner reprogramming and coming to see why I had this desire to control everything in my life. And it, you know, it came from a lot of deep wounding. Mm-hmm.
0: And when you think about, um, the roots of somebody who feels a need for control, I think it can look a lot of different ways. So I'm curious on number one, just like, what do you think the roots are of that? And number two, how does it kind of look when somebody has control stuff? Because I actually think that it can take on many forms. Like for example, I was in a tiff a while back with my boyfriend and he wanted more time to think about something. And I realized that, it's fine if every now and again we all need more time to think about something, but it felt almost to me like he was taking control by making me wait. That was the story I had about it. Like I have Mm -hmm. to wait and you have control. And so sometimes control does look like somebody who will resist saying that they're going to handle something. They'll say they need to think about it. And there's always somebody waiting in a relationship. Um, Not necessarily my case, but it made me think a lot about that. Um, Do you have any suggestions on like, or just insights on what does it look like when somebody has a control Thing and what are the
1: roots? Yeah, so control is usually rooted in these fears and imagined threats to our to our ego and to our safety and security. Or um, and so often they're kind of these psychological fears. They're not even real threats to our. Um, our physical well-being or our safety, but we imagine and perceive them to be just based on, you know, our wounding that we've had from, you know, from our childhood or ancestral trauma or these things that, um, these imprints that we're carrying that, you know, something that might be really neutral to someone else could feel like a very threat to our, our being. So, uh, it's, it's generally rooted in that. And it it can look like, like you said, lots of different flavors of it that come up in relationship or come up in, um, in our careers or really any aspect of our lives. And, um, you know, it's, it's seeing what is beneath it that really allows you to release it. So for me, um, there was a lot of, You know, if I didn't control my life, it would all fall apart, and um, ultimately, I I wouldn't belong Mm. or I wouldn't be loved, I wouldn't be accepted. And so, really, doing the work to trace it back to see what that core imprint is what is that deep rooted fear, um, and is that actually real? You know because so much of the, the fears that are driving us are we're, we're creating them based on our perceptions.
0: Mm-hmm. And when somebody has control stuff, like issues or challenges, you know, and it's so funny because in personal development, I, 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 I hate even saying like problems, you know. but it's like when somebody knows that they tend to be controlling, what do you think is going on
1: in their lives? Like how does it tend to look? Oh, I mean, it could, it could take so many different forms. Um, it could be needing, needing to know everything, uh, that's going to happen and how it's going to unfold and, um, maybe not taking risks or putting themselves in novel situations or, yeah, just really limiting your, your experience of reality mm-hmm. and manifested in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, wanting having expectations that other people will act a certain way, um, because if they don't, it feels like a, a threat to who you are and and your your well being. Um, you know, and and it could be perfectionism. It could be. Uh, I mean, it can manifest in eating disorders, all sorts of different things.
0: I think also ultimatums, usually that's just a way I I noticed for me that if I ever feel like giving somebody or something an ultimatum, it's because I feel really disempowered. Mm. And then the ultimatum will come because it's like, I just feel like it's a way to get my power back. I haven't really lived in that for a long time, but that's something that I learned about myself is that if I'm anywhere near ultimatum energy, it's because I feel way too far down the scale of disempowerment. So I know. Right. So
1: it had the pendulum has to swing the opposite way.
0: Yeah. Taking your power back sometimes for some people looks like, or taking their control back. Um, I think another thing that some people do that are controlling is, is like, there's a level of being punitive. So that might mean like they don't come to something to like make a point. Like that's how they get their control back. Or they, they're, you know, they're very like, do this or do this my way, or I'm not going to do it. I've I've seen that too. Um, And using their participation as a way to control if other people are going to go with it or not, you know? Um, Yeah. And what do you, for anybody listening right now, um, I, I know that you kind of wish it differently. What are some of the things you started doing to get back to yourself and stop feeling like you need to take control?
1: Yeah. So I I think the biggest shift happened for me in my life when my brother died a decade ago. And I mean, that was really the most difficult thing I'd ever experienced. And it was something that I had absolutely no control over. He um, had troubles with Uh, drugs and alcohol, and he died of an overdose. And so there were so many points in my life where I noticed where I was trying to control an outcome around how he was engaging with the world. And if I just got him... Better friends or if I could just watch him all the time then you know bad things wouldn't happen Mm -hmm. but that just resulted in me kind of losing my own sanity and losing sleep and getting sick and being stressed and concerned and realizing that in the end I had no control over anything anyway Mm -hmm. and so that kind of realization that We we think we have control over other people. You know, we we can try to manipulate situations and, and try to control them. But in the end, we don't really have the ability to control anyone. We can't control natural disasters and weather events, we can't control, we really can't control anything in life. And we think that we can control ourselves, but that's that's the even funnier part is because unless we're really doing the work and doing the self-examination, we have so many subconscious programs and these default contexts that are actually running the show. Mm -hmm. And so we think we have free will and choice in the moment, but we're actually usually coming from a place of just reacting from these subconscious patterns and things. So if we don't even have control over ourselves, like how are we going to control anything? And so I, I kind of really sat with that and, and faced my brother's death and, and realized that, um, you know, was looking at my own mortality and, um, you know, we, we have zero control over, you know, life and death and things like that. And, and so I, that was the major turning point in my life where I started to start to surrender and to really look into the deep patterns of the way that I was operating just kind of in this default way. And I just ended up being a certain way and, and never really looked under the hood to see what was, what was driving a lot of those behaviors. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up taking a, a year long trip around the world. And it was a huge, huge leap for me because I, um had all of the reasons why I couldn't live this dream I'd wanted to travel around the world for forever um but I had a a private practice I was working with children with autism at the time had a really successful business I was mentoring clinicians and you know I had a mortgage I had a car I had my my family was grieving I had all of these reasons why I couldn't live my dream Mm. uh but then I was working with a therapist at the time and really got to the place where I was like, you know what, I'm going to choose myself for the first time. And I ended up four months later, walking away from everything. Mm -hmm. My life as I knew it just left it all behind and did this year long trip around the world by myself. And that was really my, my ultimate training ground to really teach me, to surrender mm. and to really have to learn to trust myself, to trust other people, and uh, realize that I, I had no control over anything.
0: The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and just using it every day. But if that's not in the cards for you this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by more than 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. And since I personally haven't been in France for a while, I love to hop on to Babbel for a few minutes every day and just keep my French up to par. Babbel even helps me with my accent, my pronunciation, so that on my next trip, I'll feel confident stepping off the plane, ready to chat with anyone. Here's a special from Babbel limited time deal for our listeners right now to get 55% off your subscription, but only for the U Turn community at babbel.com slash U Turn. So you can get 55% off at b a b b e l dot com slash y o u t u r n. Rules and restrictions may apply. Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is just here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap, or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, they give you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the entire United States, and they are the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support you and your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash U-turn. Go to shopify.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash U-turn. Hey, U-Turn friends, it's Ash here, and I've got to admit, my closet has been incredibly crammed with a lot of clothes but nothing to wear. The solution? I decided to donate a ton of them and turned to Quince. They are the upgrade for high-quality, affordable pieces. Now I have a wardrobe of luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next. And the best part? I stayed on budget. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, so by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I just love them. I recently got the Italian pebbled leather crossbody bag, and it is the perfect size for a purse when I'm out on a date night, traveling light, or just don't want anything bulky weighing me down. I really love what they're doing. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash U turn for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q U I N C E dot com slash Y O U T U R N to get free shipping and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash U turn. So sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you, and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to u-turnpodcast.com slash Clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash Clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. So I just have a question about your brother, because I, know, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, Jackie, but my sister died of an overdose. And so I totally understand um, that like having a sibling that you can't control and it, puts Mm -hmm. you and, and my sister, um, she was homeless for a while and we tried everything obviously. And it was like, I remember raindrops hitting my ceiling at night. I would stay up all night because I would think about her out in the park, homeless with Mm -hmm. rain. And it was like this ultimate exercise in human torture and not having control. And what I learned as an empath is that sometimes we try to solve people's problems and we give ourselves the convenient title of empath, when the reality is, we're just trying to solve things so that we don't have to feel them ourselves, you know? Yeah. And so I would love, um, just some insight from you on how did you grieve control? Because you you talked a lot about life and death. And for me, one area that has given me a lot of my life back is not being afraid of death. So, um, I've just made that choice to like accept it. And what it looks like for me in my day-to-day life is like flying. I have a lot of friends who are afraid to get in an airplane and fly. And for me, Mm. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I choose not to be afraid of death. So whenever there's turbulence, I just like put my hand over my heart and say, like, I trust that whenever it's my time, it's my time. It's okay. And I just sit there in peace. And so do you have any ways you can share with us that you overcame like all of that in your grieving process?
1: Yeah. Well, and thank you for sharing. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And Yeah um i yeah i totally feel you on all of that and uh, yeah for me facing death was really such a profound teacher like death was one of my greatest teachers in life and over the last decade doing a lot of work to really process and grieve and heal around death and really come to a place where i no longer fear death exactly like you're saying and having you know, death is such a taboo thing in our culture. People don't talk about it. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to think about it. And, you know, everything, the whole anti-aging industry is because we're so afraid to die. And for me, um, you know, really coming to this place of not fearing death, you know, I'm not, I don't feel ready to die. I feel like I have a lot of life in me, but I'm also... I've been living my life full out and as cliche as it sounds really living each moment as if it's my last, because I don't know when Mm -hmm. my time is going to come and really cleaning up any areas, closing any loops in my life. So there are no regrets and just really fully living. And I feel like we can't truly live unless we are, this place where we can think about, talk about, meditate, reflect on death. Mm. And, you know, it's that fear of dying that keeps people controlling life because mm-hmm. everything is a threat to our actual existence, mm-hmm. you know, or a perceived threat to our actual existence. So, and I've, I've had some profound spiritual experiences, which, um, you know, really, have brought extreme peace around this idea of dying because what I believe is that, you know, death is not the end of our life. It's just, you know, we take on a different form Mm. and we've, you know, our spirit returns home essentially and, and our life in this physical body may cease, but, you know, we continue to be. And, um, having had these, somewhat mystical experiences where I've had an embodied experience of what I imagine to be this spiritual union that, you know, the, the bliss and profound peace that I experienced, I no longer fear death. Mm -hmm. So I get to actually truly live
0: Well, I, I think you, you touched on a couple things. Number one is just this idea of like, where do we go after this? It's such a trip for me. Sometimes I sit and think like, how did we get here? And then my mind just completely shuts off, like doesn't even know what to do with it. But, you know, I think it's fascinating that matter cannot be created or destroyed, you know? And I also can't help but notice as you're talking, this concept of unfinished business you know and i think that for this idea of flow it's like one of the biggest blocks of my flow in my being in my energy of my breathing of my presence is when i have unfinished business because it floats in mm. my mind and it occupies this space you know um And only recently have I been like more and more sensitive to this, to the point where I've reached out to a couple friends where we got disconnected and I'm not sure what it was over. You know, and recently, where and it started to almost be addictive to clear, unfinished business because I noticed absolutely how much freer I felt um by completing things, so I'm just curious, kind of like around that concept of unfinished business, what insights you have, what you've learned with your own unfinished business about life and flow,
1: absolutely, so I feel that any time we were carrying these hurt, these wounds, these regrets these. Um, people that we are holding on to anger or bitterness or like are unable to forgive that it's actually taking part of our energy or it's like a dam with holes in it and all of these energetic leaks that make us less whole and less able to really be functioning as our truest essential nature. And that is in this, Pure flow. So um, you know, I've, I've over the last several years, I've, I've gone through all of these areas of my life and, and saw is there anything that I needed to clean up to be in integrity with with other people or with myself? And you know, I went through seven-year cycles of everyone that I needed to forgive. You know, down to the things that seemed really insignificant. Um, I'll will tell you a little story that um, you know it's kind of out there and unbelievable, but I had um, I had this abscess in my tooth, and when I went to the dentist, they said you need a root canal, and I didn't want to have uh, a root canal. I was about to go teach in in the jungle in Panama, and I didn't didn't want to have a procedure. Uh, that I, I didn't have time to research and I heard root canals were really unhealthy and the other option was extracting the tooth and I didn't want to do that either and be yeah. presenting with no front tooth. But, um, <laughs> that would be a trip. So I, uh, yeah, <laughs> A so lesson I, in I, flow. No tooth and presenting anyway. <laughs> <laughs> toothless <laughs> presenting with Jackie Nactal. Um Yeah, so I went and sought out other opinions in, in different cities that I was in and each one kept telling me the same that I needed to have this root canal and I really wanted to wait until I found a bio dentist that I, I trusted and then I was uh, I met with actually one of my students in London and I was sharing about this with him and um he asked about my nose and I'm like my nose you know we're talking about my tooth here and then I made the connection that when I was in fifth grade I was playing handball on the you know schoolyard uh playground and this girl tripped me and I fell on my face and in that moment wailed you know the whole schoolyard heard my scream because I couldn't feel my teeth oh my god and um and you know I kind of broke my nose and There was this whole trauma that I I fell on my face. And in that trauma, the nerve in my tooth died, which is why they're now saying that I needed this root canal. And, you know, years later, it it had just been getting worse. And um, so what I realized was this trauma in fifth grade, where then I had cuts all over my face, I felt really insecure and self-conscious because, you know, I was into all the you know baseball players and the cute boys of course and and, and cootie shots you know,
0: not cootie yeah. shots we don't even
1: know <laughs> so good and I just remember feeling so ugly because I had these cuts all over my face and oh. being teased and there was an imprint around that and I still remember the girl's name you know it's like those funny things that completely shape our lives that we're you know we totally forget about until something like this happens and so we did a forgiveness practice and did some work around that and then I made it to my bio dentist in New York and he took x-rays and he said it's like your body had a natural root canal it's like I couldn't do anything in there if I wanted to and it was like wow wow so it just kind of it, healed itself it healed itself and it was it was just so clear to me um you know there's there's a root of all of these narratives that we we create and all these stories that end up becoming uh, you know, the story that runs our lives. And even I was just at this leadership training with Werner Earhart and there were people from 21 different countries and it was the same for everyone. You know, some guy, his teacher in third grade, uh, you know, told him to stop raising his hand or something and let other kids have a chance and so in that moment, he shut down his self-expression or, you know, it's like mm-hmm. these little things that seem so insignificant, but yet in that moment, we created A story or took on a belief that wasn't true. It was a distorted perception, but then it's creating all of the suffering in our lives. So I went and after that moment, I went through seven year cycles for every year of my life, thinking of everyone that I may have been holding on to, you know, the the first grade teacher or the, you know. Parents, whatever it was, no matter how big or small the trauma imprint was, I I did some forgiveness work around it. And it was so liberating and so freeing. Mm. And so by doing these things to close these loops in our lives, we're calling back the parts of ourselves, the energy that we gave away our power that we gave away and really helps us to heal and become more whole and then connected to our true power. And Mm. that's when things really start to flow.
0: Oh, I love that. And it, it is true. And even for anybody listening, I would say, recommending to them maybe to come up with a list right now or at the end of this episode of all of the things you think are tugging on your energy you know like unfinished things or um things that you want to be doing that you're occupying yourself thinking about but not doing like just a full list of what's demanding your energy so that you can kind of assess you know where are you blocking your own flow you know
1: um well and that's an important thing, too, because it's like so many people are like, oh, but I can't forgive them. What they did was unforgivable or, you know, they were clearly wrong. And then we're putting so much blame and, um, you know, not able to let go of these things because we're, we're holding on to blaming other people. But if we can really start to take some radical self-responsibility And zoom out from these situations and get a a more objective look at the facts of the matter and um, realize that by holding on to these these things, it's hurting no one else but ourselves. And so it's not that it condones any of the things that happened and it, you know, it's not letting the other person off the hook or, or whatever. It's just a way to set yourself free from the shackles that are self-imposed because we thought, you know, it shouldn't have happened that way or the other person is wrong and, and really holding on to that righteousness. All that does is, is hurt ourselves take our power.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, before we started recording, I was talking about how I feel kind of like blah today, which is really unusual for me. Like usually I'm pretty excited, alive, energized and something about today. I feel kind of depressed, which doesn't happen for me. So I'm curious for anybody listening. I know that a lot of people do experience feelings of depression or just apathy. What do you think that means about their relationship with flow or control?
1: Um, You know, first of all, I would say that it's okay to feel those things. You know, there's um, a tendency to reject these emotional states that are less desirable, like being sad or apathetic or whatever it is. But the more we resist feeling those feelings and just allowing them to be what they are, that's when we're really blocking our flow. Mm. So, you know, like children... If you, I have young nephews and have spent many years working with children. If you watch children, they will go through emotions so quickly. You know, one minute they're on the floor screaming their heads off, having a wild tantrum in the middle of the supermarket, you know, then they, they cry out after you know the, the parents are embarrassed and, um, but then they're laughing a few minutes later and then they'll be sad and they're just moving through these emotions and that's what we're meant to do. Our emotions are meant to cycle through but when we don't want to experience them and think oh well I should be happy now and we don't actually want to feel like okay I'm actually really sad right now and I'm feeling apathetic and I don't want to do anything um, so rather than pushing that away and and numbing out or distracting ourselves, scrolling through Facebook or eating or doing whatever these compensatory strategies we have to not actually feel the uncomfortable feeling. That's what actually locks it in Mm -hmm. and keeps you from actually experiencing flow. Um, So it's not that, you know, in flow, you're never going to have sad moments or anger or, um, you know, these negative, you know, quote unquote negative emotional states. It's that you're going to be accepting of them and you're going to sit with them and you're going to feel them and you'll have tools to work with them and process them so that they don't get stuck. The energy doesn't get stuck in your body. Um, because that's really the root of so much, disease, uh, of of depression, of anxiety, all of these things are these unprocessed emotions, because emotional intelligence isn't taught in schools. And I imagine schools of the future that, you know, mindfulness and emotional intelligence and all of this will be taught. But in this moment, you know, if parents don't know how to be with their emotions, they can't teach their children how to do with it and, and how to do it and to really be okay. You know, it's like the minute a child starts crying, we want to calm them down and tell them, you know, don't cry. And, you know, we're taught to stuff down our feelings. So I'd say the first step is really just being okay with being apathetic or being sad or whatever it is that you're experiencing. And the less you resist it, the more quickly it will move through.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting because with how I've been feeling today, I was just noticing I have an event I'm supposed to go to tonight and I just don't really want to go. It's just like my little apathetic feeling that I've been having today and something about like getting out of the house and going doesn't feel helpful. Like it feels like uh, a drag and (laughs) you know, it's like to be with my apathy is to accept that that's how I feel about it. And to like, cancel the plan. You know what I mean? Like allowing yeah. myself to feel how I feel and it's funny because when I just thought now about letting myself cancel it, I felt lighter. So it's like Mm. you're it's really you're so right. And and it's fun to kind of think about kids because they are such teachers for us in the level of emotional freedom they allow themselves, in the level of freedom of speech they allow themselves, you know, and it's so true. Most of the time we spend our lives resisting one feeling that usually if we let ourselves feel it fully, it, it lasts about 10, 15 minutes, you know, right. It's yeah, a really powerful and thing. And that's it. And then
1: it moves. And then, you know, maybe you end up at the event tonight because you weren't worried about it. Or maybe you sit with why you can't um, go to an event. And I'm not. I'm just giving hypotheticals here, um, you know, and feel like you have to be the happy one because you're normally the happy one. But why can't you go to an event and... Be sad or apathetic or whatever, and not be just your fullest expression of whatever you are in that moment. Or noticing the tendency to want to go anyway because you said you would, or um, you don't want to disappoint other people. And that's really the, this is where um, kind of using life as your mirror and allowing it to reflect back to you all of these beliefs and perceptions that you're holding about yourself, about reality, about. The world around you about other people and really starting to look at that and see, um, you know, where am I doing things because I don't want to let other people down, even though I don't want to go or whatever it is, because this is all valuable data for you to start to look at some of the these patterns that you're creating and that's where we're starting to try to control life. But whereas, um, you know, one of our flow principles is really radically following your excitement in every moment. And, you know, sometimes that might be not doing the things that you said you were going to do, um, or, you know, taking a nap when you feel like you should be working, (laughs) you know, it goes against all of our conditioning and shows you, all of these edges that, um, you know, you have these beliefs around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's also just, um, one question I find really interesting that I think a lot of people will relate to is I, I made a mistake in my business. And I don't know if I could really even call it a mistake at this point, because I feel so complete with it and I understand it, but I, it translated into me going from millions of dollars of revenue into debt and I wanted to ask you, you know for me for years, having to pay off that debt. It translated into what felt like a really l- a large lack of flow in my creativity because I felt so stifled by mm. having to create income um, even though I had a successful business based off of debt, so I'm curious like for anybody listening who maybe has something like debt or they live with a crazy parent like things that are pulling on their energy and blocking their creative energy. Like what suggestions do you have for somebody to get back to themselves when they're dealing with those sorts of circumstances?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always going to be challenges in life, but we say struggle and suffering are optional. So, you know, there's always going to be things that aren't necessarily our ideal situation. It's how you navigate that. That's what's important. And so, by following your excitement and your intuition at all times, that's really the path of the most flow. And so, um, you know, if you have debt, you might feel like you have to be doing something that's going to guarantee you making money, but it might be making you miserable, and you're locked into this job that you hate. But that could also not be true. You know, There, there's always other ways of doing it. But if you have a belief that I can't be, you know, doing the thing that I love to be doing and, you know, believe that I'll be able to be supported and to pay my bills and to get out of this debt, then um, that's something to work with there. Or to be creating from a place of lack and scarcity, which is easy to get into when you're looking at a mountain of debt. Uh, it's really hard to take on a an abundance mindset when you're looking at your bank account and you know all you see is is debt, but it's really doing the work around what are those perceptual shifts that you need to make or you know um again, having a family member or like a difficult boss or someone there's so much valuable data in that because it's where are you? arguing with life that you think it should be a different way because this is how we create these gaps in our like inner happiness and our, our joy is when we think that life should be a, a different way than it actually is
0: mm-hmm. and
1: wanting other people to be different than they actually are. And, um, you know, and I've experienced this in my life too and and what was really liberating and freeing Was um, again coming back to not trying to control. You can't control other people. And um, the more I could just allow other people to be exactly as they are and notice what was coming up for me, you know, whether it was like they would never show up on time and that would drive me crazy because I'm, you know, my family's German and (laughs) like, you know, punctuality is in my blood. and, And so I would get annoyed because I thought that you know, showing up on time is respectful of other people. And that, you know, if I, if they weren't showing up on time, I felt disrespected, Mm. but I had an expectation that they were going to act in accordance to what I believed. And they might not have that same Value or that same belief, and or think it's important. Um, so just noticing where I was creating these expectations of other people to be a certain way, then you know, often they couldn't be any other way. Otherwise, they would, based on all of the experiences that they've had in their lives and the trauma they've experienced and their conditioning and programming and upbringing, they couldn't actually be any other way. Mm -hmm. Um, But my wanting that to change and be different was what was creating suffering in my life. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, We've covered so much ground. I would love just kind of like if you could impart one message as we're completing things to everybody who's listening, what would be like the one message you would want everybody to know about flow or control?
1: So mm. it's always hard to distill it into, to one little nugget, but I think really such a game changer is, uh, you know, like I said before using life as your mirror to start to show you all of the places where you're living out of alignment with the truth of who you are and what you're here to do and start showing you the places where you're out of integrity, out of authenticity, or having expectations, um, not having done the forgiveness and and really looking at all of the situations in your life as, uh, teachers and and what can you learn about yourself and what needs to shift in order to bring you into more flow. Mm,
0: I love that. Where can everybody find you and keep learning from you?
1: Um, flowconsciousness.com is kind of the home for all of our different events and training programs and articles and things like that. Thank you, Jackie. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hello
0: friends, it's Ash here and I am just reflecting on this episode with Jackie Nektel and I just thought it was so interesting that while we came on the episode to talk about flow, a lot more of our conversation was about control. And it seems like in order to have flow, you need to manage your need to control. And this makes me think a lot about that book surrender experiment where this argument is when you go with the flow of life and the organic direction things are already going, so much more happens for you. And that when you try to control, it takes you off course. And this makes me think a lot about self-fulfilling prophecies. Like for example, if a guy and a girl are dating and things are going really, really well, there's a lot of flow. The moment that maybe the guy or the girl starts to create control, maybe they wanna move in together or they want to talk about getting engaged And maybe both people are kind of on the path to being ready for that, but the moment, maybe somebody's in fear and they think, oh my gosh, this isn't going to happen unless I take control because that's the root of control, right? You want to ask yourself, what thoughts are you buying into before you start to take control? What are you believing about a situation, about yourself, about the world, about the other person, whatever it is that makes you want to ask uh, or want to confront something or want to grab more tightly onto something. So let's say the girl or the guy, let's say the girl is scared she's gonna lose the guy, even though things are going super well and they're in the flow and it was already destined for all of the great things and flow. Maybe she'll say, hey, I want to know where things are going. Where are things going? Where do you see this going? Uh, yes, it is important to communicate and to be on the same page with people, but perhaps she does that from a place of wanting control, subconsciously wanting to make sure that the flow keeps happening because it feels so good. What happens? Maybe the guy constricts. Maybe he feels overwhelmed. Uh, maybe the energy of the entire relationship shifts because it went from flow to to control. And I get that there's a really fine line. And what I found within myself is that it really comes back to where you're coming from inside of you when you start to seek uh, answers for things that might look like you're trying to control. And for me, there's been a lot of years where I had anxiety. And a lot of that I've healed. Some of it still pops up a little bit in my life. And what I've found is that there's different ways that we all cope with the unknown, or in my case, anxiety, which comes from the unknown. And one way that I used to cope with anxiety was making lots of plans. It kind of made me feel this sense of order in my life. Another way I would cope with anxiety was feeling this sense of need to know. I would ask questions about what was going to happen, what time, where, and that gave me a sense of safety. It wasn't until this chapter of my life where I really sat with not needing to know something or allowing it to be okay that I don't need to know something that I've been able to get into flow because I didn't realize that the need to know was blocking my flow. So in this moment right now, flow is available for you. That stream of flow in your creativity, in your career, in your relationships, in your friendships, all of that's available. And it's when we start to hold on more tightly to these things, we start to want to control them, that the flow leaves and all of the magic goes away and it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy where the thing we love the most because the flow feels so good suddenly becomes totally disconnected. So my question for you is where are you starting to go into fear or want to hold on more tightly to something? How are you relating to something unknown in your life where you're starting to block the flow? Uh, I honor you for having the conversations, I honor that certain things deserve a conversation, but I think what's even more important is really paying attention to the flow of your life, what's wanting to happen, and also tuning into your body of when you grab on for control, where is it coming from? Is it coming from fear or is it coming from being grounded? There's a big difference. So that girl who's talking to her boyfriend and things are going really well, it's one thing for her to say to him, hey, I'm, I'm ha- so happy and I'm so connected to you. I'm wondering where you see this going. Maybe she's grounded and she's curious. That's one place to come from. Another place to come from is fear of saying, hey, you know, I noticed that it's been six weeks we've been dating. What do you think is about to happen? What are you feeling? Should we be exclusive? All of these things. Yes, it's important on yourself, but check your energy, check where you're coming from because your flow is everything. It's the source of your creativity. It's the well of your expression. And that's what I want for you. So I leave you with the question of what is wanting to happen in your life and how are you blocking the flow? Thanks again for tuning in. It's Ashley Stahl, and I can't wait to connect next week.